0: As we had started looking at Exodus 18 together last week, this is you see the this transition moving from the Israelites who would not believe, right? even though they saw, you know, the great events of the plagues and the being delivered through the Red Sea, they didn't see it as being delivered. They saw it as uh, Yahweh had brought them out to to kill them in the wilderness. So you see. Uh, they don't believe they they won't listen and so it raises the question well is you know is anybody going to believe or listen to yahweh and what happens is gentile jethro comes back this is moses's father-in-law he comes back to moses with his family he brings his uh, moses's wife and his two sons which are jethros grandsons, and his grandsons' names were a testimony of God's grace to Moses. You know, one of them was named Gershom, which means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It's like when we you know, share our testimony of what the Lord did in our lives, we say, well, this is what I was. You know, I was this. But then the next part was like, well, what did God do to you know, start opening your eyes and to, to change you? So that's his son Eleazar, whose name means, you know, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And in that, even just Jethro calling out his grandson's names to come out from the pasture was kind of like reading a gospel tract to himself in a way. And when Jethro comes and Moses tells Jethro everything that happened, about the plagues, and even in the wilderness, he tells he tells about how the Israelites are responding to this whole thing by grumbling and making these accusations against God, and the way that Jethro sees it is the way that the Israelites should have seen it. And eighteen nine, it says, Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which Yahweh had done to Israel that he had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, blessed be Yahweh who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. So all of this work that the Lord is doing in rescuing Israel and even people seeing how they're responding is to, to magnify not only the wrath of God, but also his grace. See, you see, know, Jethro saying, God was incredibly gracious to these people who are grumbling against him. He's incredibly powerful. And he comes to recognize there, there isn't any God like this God. Nobody can compare to him. And as God had ordained Israel to be a blessing to the nations, the blessing is still going out to the nations, despite how Israel has been responding in the wilderness And I guess you could say, ironically, what ends up happening here is now it's Gentile Jethro that's blessing Israel by giving one of their leaders, Moses, some advice on how to lead this nation that's becoming so great. And that's where we're picking up in verse 13, and we'll read 13 to the end of the chapter. This is Exodus 13 through the end of the chapter. Now it happened the next day that Moses sent to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until evening. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. So he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone to sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a matter, it comes to me and I judge between man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to my voice. I will give you counsel and God be with you you be the people's representative before God and you bring the matters to God. Then warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work they shall do. But you shall select excellent men out of all the people, those who fear God, men of truth, those who hate greedy gain, and you shall place these men over them as leaders of thousands of people hundreds of fifties and of tens and they will judge the people at all times and it will be that every major matter they will bring to you but every minor matter they themselves will judge so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you if you do this thing and god so commands you then you will be able to endure and all these people also will go to their new place in peace so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose excellent men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of 50s and of 10s. And they judged the people at all times. The difficult matter they would bring to Moses, but every minor matter they themselves would judge. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your grace that you not only deliver people, but you also instruct us in the good ways in which we would enjoy the life that you would give us, to walk in your good ways, to know your blessing in how we would walk with you. And we see that in how you used Jethro to bless Moses and an entire nation so long ago. And we see not only your grace, but also your instruction and how leaders over your people should have certain character and skill. And we pray that we would learn what you teach from this word and that you would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Throughout this text, you see the word thing or matter. Jethro's telling me, you the people bringing all these things to you and you having to deal with all these matters, this is too heavy of a task. It's too glorious. It's it's something that really only God can handle, ultimately. And this word that is translated thing or matter or word in this text, it's all translated from one Hebrew word, devar. And the point that... Uh, I want you to see within this is when we get, it's setting up for the 10 devars or the 10 things or the 10 matters or the 10 words, which we call the 10 commandments. And he's saying God's 10 commandments are the things that are going to instruct his people. Uh, Those are the things that they need to know. Those are the, the matters that deal with every matter. And that's exactly where we're at in Exodus. We're in this chapter that's a major transition where you're moving from a people who was delivered out of Egypt, but they're not just delivered out of, they're delivered into something else. They're going to be delivered into relationship with God. They're moving from one kind of slavery, which was of burden under Pharaoh, to another type of slavery, which is freedom in the Lord And so this chapter is pivotal pivotal in setting up for Israel receiving the law at Mount Sinai. And you see that Moses what he would do is he would sit to judge the people. And you might remember how uh, some people long ago who were his uh, Hebrew brethren, They were upset when he killed the Egyptian, when he saw himself as a deliverer in their place. And they said, who made you judge? (laughs) Well, now he's sitting as judge over the people, but you remember back then Moses was presuming, like he, he understood that that was gonna be his role, but he presumed upon the Lord's timing and he presumed in doing it his own way and in his own strength. But now, The Lord has displayed all of this in his strength, and it's his timing that Moses would move into this role as judge over these people. Now, when it comes to Jethro, you see how he's he's set in contrast to to Israel. Had Israel really heard what God had done for them? They hadn't heard it at all. I mean, yeah, and it's like they just totally missed it. It was like nothing happened. And But it says of Jethro, when we start this, says Moses's Moses' father-in-law, he heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people. And then in verse 14, it says, Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. So... Jethro has ears to hear and eyes to see. Moses and trying to lead these people, you think about is, you know, he was instructing them in God's statutes at this point. Now, you can just think about his resources. I mean, this is millions of people, uh, this is a, a mixed multitude of sons of Israel who had been paganized and Egyptians who came along for all sorts of different reasons. And this was a people that, you know, Moses couldn't lead them by himself, though that's what he was trying to do. And he's also instructed them in God's statutes and he doesn't have all of them yet. So you See, there's a lot of limitations on them. And that, you know, he's one guy with limited knowledge, but he's going to need more people and some more instruction. And ultimately, the thing he needs is God, which you know, Jethro, who was a priest of Midian of all people, you know, you see, uh, he he was a pagan priest, but here you're seeing his conversion to, yeah, there's only one God, and he's, I don't even know why I believe in all of these other gods. <laughs> and he says to, to Moses, God be with you. He said, that, that's what you need more than anything because all the glory belongs to God, which is one of the points that's made throughout the book of Exodus. Now you can't, Moses, you can't sit around and make it look like the glory belongs to you because you're the only instructor of Israel. Uh, you need to make it known that it's because God is with you and he's with other people as, as well, And you're to be the people's representative. You know, you don't just hear from them and then think about what you know about God's statutes and then just say something. he says, you go to God first. You talk to him about it. And then you find out what he commanded and then you answer the people. So Jethro lays out that sort of order so that, you know, God gets all of the glory and that that'll also be instructive for other people because they say, well, you know, what does Moses or, you know, these other guys do when we have a question for them, when there's a relational dispute or there's some question about, like, how do we live in faithfulness to the Lord in this way? Like, well, the first thing that they do is they pray. First thing that they do is they go to God. First thing that they do is they go to God's word and God's instruction before they say anything to ensure that God is getting the glory, that he's the priority, and that people aren't trusting in man and his wisdom, but trusting in God and his wisdom. But you also see what's happening here. I, I mean, it's really easy to just think, you know, everybody's an unbeliever in Israel. And this is true for a, a time, but you also see the fact that they are coming to Moses is that they're start, starting to see that he's a covenant mediator. You know, they're starting to accept that He's the one that they go to to know know, how they should be living their lives for God. Uh, Not only if they just have a dispute with somebody, but even if there's a situation where they just I don't know the right thing to do. And later in Scripture, this sets up for Moses' extended family, being that he was in the tribe of Levi setting up for the Levitical priest, it says in Leviticus 10.11, it was required of them that you must teach the Israelites. That's what the priests would do. They would teach the Israelites all the decrees that Yahweh has given through Moses. But the problem we see here is Moses is trying to do all of this single-handed, and the task is too heavy for him. And Jethro points out, you're going to need to delegate this responsibility because of the greatness of God and the greatness of this nation that he is forming before your eyes. And verses 20 to 23, there these, these lay out leadership qualifications. It's like, well, what, what is it that they're to do? Now, this, this very much reads like, First Timothy. This very much reads like Paul writing to Timothy. It's like, well, what do you do? Uh, warn them about the statutes and the laws, which is exactly how First Timothy starts. It's like, warn them about all of the, the false teaching that that's going on within the church. But also recognize it's not just, you just have this attitude of being embattled with all of the false ideas in the world, but it's a positive ministry, In verse 20, to make known to them the way in which they shall go and the work that they shall do. You know, it's a teaching of uh, right doctrine and practice. So he lays out, this is what they're going to do. They're going to warn people of falsehood and they're going to teach them truth, not only to be apprehended in the mind, but to be lived out by their hand as well. And within these leadership qualifications, it says that these, in verse 21, are to be excellent men. Well, what what do you think it means that they're to be excellent men? And what are the things that describe, you know, as you look at the rest of the verse, what are the things that make up excellent men?
1: Yeah. My translation says men
0: of truth. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, so they fear God. So if they're men who fear God, oh, what I mean, what does this mean about them? If they fear God. They have a relationship with God, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the first thing. Is you know, the, you know, the guy shows up and is like, "Moses, I think I would like to join the ministry team here. He said, are you converted? (laughs) Do you fear God? Yeah, that's the number one thing. And then later on, it says, you know, they're men of truth. What do you think it means that, you know, these excellent men are men of truth? Like Jeff, though, these are men who've also seen and heard. Yeah. You know, they're, because you could think about so, some guys hearing about this, they're like, this sounds like a pretty sweet deal to be in charge of people and, you know, to have, like, some, you know a title. You know, people will call me, like, Mr. or Doctor, <laughs> like, I might get a cool robe out of this. <laughs> See, we don't we don't want that guy. But maybe it's like he gets the title, but he never shows up to work. You know, you want the guy who's going to do the task. You want a man of truth who says, "You know, I not only desire to do this, but I do do this." You know, the men of truth are trustworthy. And you know, this is also tied to that idea of fearing God. It's that you know, the man of truth, you know, they know the truth, but they also obey it. You know, they, they live it out now other one you brought up Ed was they they hate greedy gain you know this talks about their their character uh, they're not a lover of money they're not they're not interested in gaining a title or gaining any any sort of reward or position or power that's not what they're interested in uh, it has to be out of you know, fearing God, loving His truth, and then wanting to love their neighbor, to to serve them, to help them, to come alongside them. It also says, here in the text, uh, you shall place these men over them. Now what's the New testament word to that's used to describe the people who are over, they're called? Overseers, right? And it's, this is going to be part of your task. You, you warn them, you make known to them right doctrine, right practice, and you oversee them. So this means you, you can't like do this from your laptop inside of your tent. <laughs> you have to, to come out and you have to be with the people. You have to see them. And they didn't have laptops back then. I recognize that. That's anachronistic. So <laughs> so <sorry>. uh, <laughs> That's good. Uh, and we're going to talk about those uh, eventually. <laughs> he says also uh every minor matter they will themselves, they'll judge. So one of the things you're right, this is their task that they're going to judge, but there's also a, a skill requirement. You know, they have to also be able to do that. You know, you can't just say, well, this guy has potential, and so we'll just throw him out there, and maybe he'll become one of these guys eventually. So No, he needs to already be able to do this. Uh, he has to meet the qualifications first. You don't take an unqualified guy and then think that, well, maybe he'll become qualified later when just the, the pressure of responsibility is on him. It's like, well, we want to see that he's already responsible first. And so he has to have skill to judge the people. And you also see that there's a benefit to all of the leadership. You know, coming there at the end of verse 22, it says, so it'll be easier for you. <laughs> and Moses, how are you going to oversee millions of people? And he says, if you go this way, there's more people. It'll be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. So he said, this is a shared leadership. It doesn't, it doesn't center all on one man. Uh, when we get into you know, the, the New Testament economy of church leadership, we see that same sort of thing. It's a plurality of leaders. It doesn't all center around one guy, but there's this shared responsibility in the wisdom of God so that one guy isn't burdened with trying to do everything, even if the guy is super capable. Uh, Moses, obviously, uh, he he has, he's growing in the character. He has the skill. He's been used by God to move a lot of people to this point. (laughs) And... as we look at this, this is all God's grace working out through his law, which he's preparing them for. And these spiritual qualities that you see in these guys, like as I I mentioned, it very much reads like the elder qualifications in first Timothy or Titus. And so you're all like, well, where did Paul get that? Did he just get this new revelation out of nowhere that, uh, elders should have these certain sort of qualifications he probably just got it from exodus <laughs> you know paul paul knew his bible and you see here in verse 21 that uh when you look through all of these qualities that these these are uh able men and you see that moses had some sort of struggle with that supposedly and like could he entrust somebody else to do something which he was very interested in with Aaron in the beginning when the Lord said I want you to do this and eventually Moses just says no but the Lord graciously gives him Aaron which how that turns out later is not so good and you remember the whole golden calf thing and whose idea that was. But Moses, you know, has potentially some sort of hesitancy in trusting other people. He's like, can anybody else do this? Because he he's just starting to mature in the Lord and to understand some things. And he's seeing, man, how long did it take for me <laughs> to get this stuff? And could I really trust some other guy? Because what if he's like me? <laughs>
1: sure than the other person <laughs> and then I have this high view of myself like, I don't know if they're ready which is laughable because here I am but I think it just it shows the humility but also just we have to trust the Lord he knows he knows what he's doing with every single life and whether we see that as better I mean obviously we can but the Lord knows and he knows the plan that he has Trusting the Lord, the Lord, the Lord knows. The Lord, the will grow as He sees fit. I yeah. yeah, was thinking the same thing. That you know, even though Jefferd doesn't say to Moses. Yourself, the only mantle that can be worn. Again, it, it, it robs from God the glory that's due Him, and it, pres, it, it presupposes that God can only use you. Mm. So the temptation to make yourself the a cult of celebrity, all that, you know, is also warded
0: against. Yeah, so. definitely. Those are good good points. In verse twenty three, this is this is what Jethro says to Moses. He says, "If you do this thing." And God so commands you. So he's, he says, only take my advice if, if this is what God commands you. <laughs> Don't just trust me, go to God. Because you know, he, Jethro's a good priest. He gets the, he's, you know, I'm an instructor of what God commands. Now that's what Melchizedek did to Abraham. This is what Jethro is doing for Moses. <laughs>
1: yeah, this is what Moses
0: is going to do for the people. This is what the the Levitical priests are going to do for the people. They're going to instruct as God so command you. So you see, you know, Jethro's pointing Moses back to God. And one of the things that we see here is that there, there isn't some distinction between sacred and secular in scripture anywhere. It doesn't say, well, when it comes to, like how you divvy up leadership and stuff, you you can just kind of figure that out however you think is best. Uh, You don't have to go to to God's word for it necessarily. Just figure out what works or what's expedient. You see here, there, there is no distinction like that. That everything's sacred. That everything must be done in honor to God, in obedience to him. And to his instruction, because to obey his instruction is to obey him. And the benefit in that is that verse 23 says, If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. So, the other implication is, if, if you do it the other way, you won't be able to endure. <laughs> and he says, it'll have a benefit not only for you, but also all these people will go to their place in shalom. They'll go to their place in in peace, knowing God's instruction in how to live for him, which is always going to result in peace, which is something that these people didn't have and they needed. They needed peace with God and they needed peace with one another. And God's going to work out those things in time. So here you see God's organizing work of leading Moses to delegate responsibility, but to to delegate it to people who are qualified. They have the skill and the character. Now, the, the difficulty for Moses wouldn't be in finding somebody to assign duties. There's lots of people. But the difficulty would be finding leaders who are prepared to take on this task. They're men of truth. They're men who are trustworthy. And Moses is here uh, a model of the right kind of response to receiving instruction. You see, he he's willing to listen to Jethro. He de- he doesn't say, you know, look, pops, I I've been with these people for a long time. I know how things work. You don't understand. Uh, you just showed up. There's a lot that has happened. <laughs> you know, he, He's willing to listen and, and to take advice, even about how he's to, to do his own duty and how he's to implement that. And he's willing to take recommendations and especially that of going to God To see what his word and his commandments teach about these things. Now, as we've kind of looked through these things of qualified leadership, skill, character, how how do you see similarities with with connection to biblical New Testament eldership? (laughs) I hadn't even thought
1: about it, but this is like a
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, but here's where the echo started, you know. <laughs> yeah, you see, though well, one of the things you see a distinction or there there were minor matters that some guys took on, and then there was you know major matters. <laughs> And turn over to First Timothy five seventeen. Says so First Timothy five seventeen. It says the the the, the leaders or the elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor. So he's talking about you know all elders, and there's some who they lead or rule is another way that word could be translated. And then he talks about another subcategory within that. He says, especially those who labor at preaching the word and teaching. So this is similar to what you see with you know, Moses and you know, the other leaders that would be with him. Is that there were certain matters that you know these other guys would take care of in, in counseling situations, is how we might talk about it. But if there was a, a matter that was you know, beyond them, there was somebody else like Moses who was especially given to teaching. And so, you know, those those more difficult things that they're like, we're not too sure how to, to sort this out. You know, there was a man who was more dedicated to that task of learning and teaching for the benefit of those other men in the service of the whole congregation. So you see that in Exodus, you see that uh, commanded in the New Testament church, even in First Timothy. If you look at First Timothy 3, you see those qualifications of overseers and deacons, and it says... Yeah, It is a trustworthy saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. And an overseer then must fear God. Uh, how is that gonna work out? And, and he should be a, a man of truth. Uh, overall, he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You see, those are you know. It's another way to, to say all the things that we had already talked about from you know, Jethro's advice to Moses. Uh, they, these are guys who can demonstrate the skill of leadership already. These are men of character already. They don't. They don't desire the good title, but they desire the good work. And a, and a, well, and it's something that they want to do. You know, they they aspire to it, they desire to do it. But you also see the skill is there, uh, the the character is there as well. There's a maturity in them. They're above reproach, which you'll know. Well, even now in Exodus and especially in the book of Numbers, what. We often describe as the apostasy of Israel. You know, their willful turning away from the Lord, though he instructed them. And there's that time in Numbers where Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses' unique leadership role, which is how apostasy is shown to start ultimately. The way that they reject God's rule is they reject his leadership. And so, God speaks to us. Why do we need you? I mean, why can't we just do what you're doing and start being in charge of all of this stuff? Well, that same sort of concept is brought up throughout the whole book of Hebrews, which keeps connecting back into Exodus and back into Numbers. And it's like, well, what's going to protect you to see Jesus Christ as the, the supreme one and to give your obedience to him? Hebrews 13 17 at the end of the the letter says obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they will be able to do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be unprofitable for you so there's this you know appeal to those who would oppose God by oppose his opposing his leadership to recognize you know it's their task to be watching over your souls, and they do have to give an account for that, and you need you need to help them to do that, but do it in a way that they can do it with joy, and not groaning. And he says, "This would be unprofitable for you." He says, "Think about your own benefit in this. I mean, if you if you make God's ordained leadership to to groan when you come around, it also doesn't help you either." <laughs> He's like, it. Think about this. Well, there's there's much that could be said about you know, biblical eldership here and how it ties back in to Exodus. But one of the supreme things that we we want to see that it's it's ultimately uh, about how God wants to oversee His congregation is similar to what we see back in Matthew 16:18 with Jesus and reference to his his church Matthew 16:18 Jesus said and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, at, at this point, this this word church is actually the Hebrew name for the book of Leviticus, which you have that in your English Bible too. The, the names of the books is always uh, the first words, so... Leviticus starts with, then Yahweh called Moses. He called to Moses. So what the Hebrew name for uh, Leviticus is the called. It's the called ones. And it's about God's congregation. So you think about here in Matthew, the, the New Testament churches, we know it doesn't exist yet. So what, what is a good Hebrew Bible student you know, thinking of? So, you know upon this rock I will build my church. And thinking you know we had talked in the past about the Messiah rock that Moses struck that it was to be stood upon and to provide living water for all of God's people's needs. You know they would have perhaps recalled that. And he also says this this is my church. This is my congregation. And he says the gates of Hades will not overpower it he says I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven and you'll also recall in Matthew 18 it talks about this is 1815. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that Deuteronomy 19.15, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. You know, why I mentioned Deuteronomy there is, you know, Moses is saying Deuteronomy is a church leadership book. Uh, Leviticus is a church leadership book. Exodus is a church leadership book. And you see him picking up on principles and things that were taught then that carry over into how God's leadership works within the New Testament church as well. So how does this you know, apply to us? Not all of us are leaders within the church. We have different roles, different gifting. I think Romans 12 answers that. If you want to follow me there, Romans chapter 12. Now you remember Moses thought he could do this by himself, but he needed to rely on many members instead, which Paul makes Jethro's sort of application to all of the church in Romans 12, starting in verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound thinking, as God has allowed it Allowed to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, but having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with faith. Or service, or in a serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, none of us should think, "Well, I'm the only person who can do this." <laughs> you know, that the the church has a need, and only I can meet it. <laughs> it says, you, "You do, you do have." A grace gift from God to serve others, but it's also to serve with others. Don't think of yourself so highly that you think that I'm the only person who can, you know, set up the chairs by myself. Uh, I'm the only person who can make sure that this this weekly study carries on. Like if if I don't show up, it'll fall apart. Or you know, I'm the only person who can make sure that you know the church is clean and the the trash is taken out or like I'm the only merciful person in the whole church like I have to go and make every hospital visit because no, nobody else is as merciful as I am to people I mean nobody <laughs> says it like that but you know we, we act like that when we get all anxious and just thinking you know God's plan for the world's going to fall apart if I don't do this and we just have to remember that you know there's only one savior of the world and it's not us Uh, We can trust him to work through his his people, but we want to recognize we have a gift to serve others and with others. And we want to engage in that. And we want to to share the joy of ministry. Why do we have any ministry to do for God's glory? Because he's been merciful to us. And we don't want to be mercy hogs and try to take it all to ourselves, but to share with others and whatever it is, uh, that we can do in anything that we do together in fellowship and today you'll see there's all sorts of things going on from people teaching and you know the, the kids classes to two sunday school classes happening to administrative things happening and baptism classes there's going to be ushers and uh, sound guys there's going to be music people and there's a whole bunch of people serving together so that all of this happens. It doesn't all just center around one guy. What's also the, the other implication is that uh, we, we need one another. Uh, We't We're not self-sufficient. Uh, we don't need to assume all of the burden of a thing to ourselves, but to see that God has given us a fellowship with Christ. To be in the in the yoke with him as as he plows the field. And that, that's what makes the burden easy, is that Christ is with us, but he's also in us and working through us and has made us you know, living stones who are building up one another. You know, none of us is the cornerstone where we think, well, all of this, this whole building comes tumbling down if I get removed from the equation. You know, it, it doesn't. It's Jesus' church. He knows how to to take care of it. He knows how to instruct us to live in it. Well, as we close this chapter on Exodus 18, it functions as an epilogue to 1 through 17. So we're, we're closing out this event of God's name revealed through the Exodus but it's the prologue to 19 and onward, which is God's name revealed through his Torah law instruction. What you remember, Exodus, that's what it's about. It's about God's name. Who is he? What is he like? He says, I'm like this. Watch this happen. I control everything in creation. Uh, I'm the God that displays that kind of wrath towards people who oppose me, but I also display that kind of love toward people that don't deserve it. But now he moves to God's name revealed through his instruction, which is what we're going to begin into next week. It's not just through his activities, but also through his instruction that he reveals who he is. You know, Ultimately, the, the, the 10 words is that. It's a revelation of what God is like. And... You're going to see a shift in Israel's role. It's going to be, you know, less passive and more active. Yeah, they're going to be given a, a preamble, a constitution, bill of rights, and commission to be a kingdom of priests of that constitution that God has given them. We're seeing a movement from the wilderness to Sinai, and that the God who delivered and sustained Israel is going to also graciously. Give them his law. So, what was the purpose of the whole wilderness wanderings? Why did that have to happen first? Why did God take them through the wilderness before he would bring them to the mountain?
1: Still in
0: their thinking in bondage to Egypt. Mm-hmm. The right <laughs> yeah, uh, there was somebody I talked to this week who had had, had some hardship brought into their life. So I just asked, them, "Why did God do this to you?" Yeah, I don't know if I had thought about that quite yet. And uh, let me see your Bible, and we. And turn it to Deuteronomy 8, and they had underlined some verses uh, in there, and there were some verses that they didn't underline, which was the ones that I thought that they should hear, and I said, you underline some good sections here, but it helps you to see what's in the middle of the sandwich here, <laughs> which, is, which is what I want you to see, and it was Deuteronomy 8.2. It's like, you know, why did God put them in the wilderness? Why did God bring this sort of hardship it says in Deuteronomy 8.2, you shall remember all the way which Yahweh your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. So this wasn't some accident. This wasn't God being passive or just allowing it to happen and then figuring out what to do and just he figured it out in 40 years. But he says he did this that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now, it wasn't for God's knowledge. He already knew what was in their heart. He was testing you so that they would know what was in their heart. So they would get the results on the test and go, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and the test was whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he said, he humbled you and he let you go hungry. So what he, what he did to test you was he deprived you of things. To see if you would trust that he was good when he took that away. To, to trust that God actually provides for you. And, and he did. And they, and, and they were always just, you know, hours or a day away from the Lord marvelously providing for them. They just had to wait a little bit. He says, and they, you know, he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh. You, see, you, you don't live by your, desires like you wanted bread you you wanted meat but ultimately you live by god's instruction and trusting his word and what he says and he says you know, he he did all of these things to do you good in the end and that was the thing that wasn't believed by israel you know that's the thing that's often not believed when you know, hardship comes into our life we don't think well god's doing this because he's good well, God's doing this because he hates me. (laughs) Like I did something wrong. Like I should have read more Bible chapters today or something. But it's because we, we think that our relationship with God isn't really based on grace. It's based on us earning it somehow. But all of these things that he does for our good and it is for our discipline to see that sin that's in our lives and to purify it. For the moment, it seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, but those who have been trained by it, Hebrews 12 says, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Because you can see it's like, well, what's God trying to, to do to you in bringing you this affliction? He wants you to go through this test and to see you're a grumbler. You grumble about this thing and this thing and this thing. But you don't need to <laughs> you you have you should be grateful for all of those things. you should be grateful that you have food and clothing, and with these we should be content. God's people can't be what he intends them to be apart from trial and suffering. God understands that you know how, and that's how it works in this world right? the way that you purify anything you think of the biblical illustration of gold it takes some heat to do it to burn out the impurities and god does that because our faith is precious to him as first peter says but the other thing that we see is it talks about in first peter is that we see that our faith is actually real like we actually have a relationship with god that's why he responds to us like a father and he disciplines us because we belong to him so we see when you know, God is calling us to repentance, we should be encouraged because we see God loves me. He actually cares about me. He's not just overlooking this or just leaving me to myself, but he's coming and confronting the evil and the sin of my life that I would forsake it and have the blessing of following him. James and James chapter one, it talks about our relationship to God and those trials and says, well, why does he test us? He tests us to bless us and to perfect us into conformity to Jesus Christ. That's why he does these things. And you see all of that working out through Exodus 18. You know, why did, you know, Moses is an individual who was tested so that he would be blessed by Jethro, so that he would be perfected in conformity to God's word and be the man who would be famous for his humility. And God, the God of Moses is our God. Uh, He hasn't changed. He still works that way. Uh, He still brings the hardships to to bless us and to perfect us in him. And may God help us to see it that way and to remember it when it happens. Because right now in Sunday school, it's easy. (laughs) But then when it happens and you're frantic and what do do I do? What's happening? (laughs) That's when you need to remember this or to be the person who's serving the other in the body to remind them of the goodness of God and that he is at work doing these things and to set our minds on his faithfulness, his goodness. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have edified us from your good word about your goodness pray that it would come to us and through us to others that we would be used this day to build up and edify your body for the sake of your name being glorified so that we would see your goodness among us and your instruction and the happy holiness that there is in obedience to you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you instruct us. Thank you that you are God, our Father. Amen.